you have to experience some failures for you to grow. And when I say you have to experience failures, I'm not saying that, you know, people should fail. I'm not wishing for that. But I th- I'm, what I'm trying to say is that if you're failing, you need to step back, analyze it and learn from those failures as you grow along. Look, we all know investing in the U.S. real estate can be incredibly rewarding, but it can be pretty overwhelming if you're just getting started. In this podcast, we will turn you through the stories of successful real estate investors. Most of them were just once in our shoes, starting with zero investing experience, working at a W-2 job, or even coming from a different country. And yet, they have managed to build wealth and freedom through real estate. My goal here is to equip you with the right mindset, strategies, and expectations so you can navigate the landscape of real estate investing with confidence. Welcome to the First Gen Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Austin Wong. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the First Gen Real Estate Podcast. Super excited for this episode. Today's guest is a physician, a real estate investor, a fellow podcaster, and also a first-generation immigrant. And we are going to be talking about something that is very relevant to each and every one of you listening, which is this topic of transitioning from the W-2 mindset to an investor mindset, especially come from a perspective of a first-generation immigrant as we are trying to navigate this path and create the desired lifestyle that we want. So welcome to the show, Avishkar Subover. How are you doing today, man? Thanks, man. Thank you, Austin, for having me, man. I'm doing great. It's a, it's a great day. Uh, it's sort of hot today in New Jersey, but yeah, I'm great and pumped to be here. Yeah, Boston is hot as well. And, uh, it, you know, we're feeling the same energy in the house. Let's go, yeah, man. Let's do this. So let's get started. Um, you have been for a physician for in, your, you know, in your career. And what have inspired you to be on that path? You know, um, my parents were physicians and uh, really I didn't see any other, any other, you know, aspect of uh, what else you could do in life. And I've seen them struggle and I've seen them be very successful in their lives. And that sort of inspired me to kind of go into the route of becoming a physician myself, uh, which is a very long journey. I had a very long journey, I have to say, but, uh, you know, I spent uh, almost 12 years in training. And then on top of that, the years that you have to spend um, you know, actually practicing. So overall, I've, I would say um, so far, I've probably I'm into it 17 or 18 years into this into this journey. Wow, that's a very long time. And as you are kind of developing this career for yourself, at which point have you started to exploring like, oh, I wanted to be an investor. I want to explore different ways to create income. You know, that's a, that's a great question, Austin, because um, I'll tell you this, when I became a physician, um, actually, when I finished medical school, I always wanted to kind of make good money on the side, right? And um, it takes a while, especially when you're when you're training to be a physician, you see your peers who are you suddenly start making money because they've graduated, they've got their jobs. And you see here you are still struggling in medical school, still finishing your residency, and then you're still not making the money that you should be making. And so I always had this feeling that I needed to do more. I needed to do something uh, that was extra and over and above what I was doing. And um, that sort of inspired me to explore other avenues, I would say. Uh, and I'll be honest, you know, real estate was not the first avenue that I actually explored. 
Um, I started my journey by exploring, uh, believe it or not, cryptocurrency. So I had a friend in residency over here and he was all into cryptocurrency. And when I started investing in cryptocurrency, this was quite some time, a few years ago. So when I was investing in cryptocurrency, um, my dream was, oh, well, man, everything's going to the moon and everything's going up. I'm going to invest this year. By next year, I'll have enough money to buy an apartment for myself. <laughs> and obviously that doesn't happen, right? So the, 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 uh, the value actually went down uh, of the cryptocurrency and I was a little despondent, but you know, that was money that I didn't need immediately, thankfully. So it wasn't like I was betting money that I needed at that point in time. And, you know, uh, it wasn't, it was sort of gambling, but with money that I could, uh, you know, I could spare. So, so after that, I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? And then I realized that cryptocurrency was a space that I didn't quite understand that well. I'm still a believer of the whole ideology behind cryptocurrency, but I don't understand how the space operates. And it's, you know, to a certain extent, it's also sort of like a wild, wild west. So I said, well, what can I do next? So then I said, maybe I should look at day trading. Maybe I should look at investing in stocks. So I did day trading. And very soon I realized, actually, I was, uh, I remember distinctly, it was a day I had finished my night shift. And I was, I started trading in the morning. I had my, my Fidelity account open. I was trading. By afternoon, I had lost $300. And, and I was so stressed throughout the day because every minute, every second, I was looking at what was happening to the money that I'd invested, right? And it was, it was very stressful for me to kind of go through that process, I realized that this is not what I want to do. So that's the good lesson that I learned, even though I lost $300 there, uh, which in retrospect, I mean, it is still a significant amount of money, but, uh, but you know, I got a good lesson for those $300 is that I did not want to be investing in, um, in assets that would give me higher stress. Now, day trading works for some people. It works great for some people. Some people thrive in that stressful environment, right? Quick minute, you know, quick second decisions. And um, you, you really, some people really enjoy that. Some people enjoy that thrill. I realized that that was not for me. I needed to invest in something that's a slower moving asset. And so that's how I sort of stumbled onto real estate, which was like, it's a slow moving asset. Um, and, you know, you can run the numbers. It takes forever. It kind of lags behind the rest of the market. And so you have you have some thinking time, and so that gelled with my lifestyle, and that gelled with my my you know job because I'm a physician. I have to take care of my patients. I cannot be doing, uh, you know, investing in uh, in stocks, day trading, and seeing my patients at the same time. You know, my patients need my attention. So this kind of uh, was a good balance for me, and that's why I chose real estate as my asset class of investment. And then I got, of course, you know, trained in real estate. I, got, I went through a few mentorships. I got a lot of knowledge and that's, that's my journey. That's how I started, you know, investing in real estate. Thanks for sharing that. And I think that every one of us kind of go through a similar thing, like real estate for anybody, it's difficult for them to be like, oh, I want to start investing and then boom, go into real estate, buy a yeah. house. It's all, it's all like, what's the easily accessible things that I can do that I can learn that is hot. And then we'll go for stocks and bonds and cryptocurrencies and day trading, which sounds like, you know, investings. And at the end, we're like, okay, what are some of the actual long-term ways that are stable that makes right. sense that I can understand from a fundamental level? And yeah. then- Well, well I mean, I think I would say this, that, you know, Austin, even though I was bad at what I did with cryptocurrency and with, with day trading, 
part of it I would attribute to not having that knowledge. Part of it would be not having the, uh, you know, the extent of knowledge that I've gained in real estate over the last few years. Um, I'd never had that knowledge when I went into this. I mean, sure, you can open up an account with any any brokerage and start trading and whatever, but that's not the right way to do it. You really need to understand how the numbers work, what you know, how the graphs work, and how you trade. So I didn't have that knowledge. I just got into it and I was like, oh well, you know, the number goes up, I'll sell. The number goes down, I'll buy. How hard can it be? But lo and behold, in, in like half a day, in a few hours, I lost three hundred dollars. And you know, it's basically about getting yourself trained in that. Um, and, and so I think I don't say that one asset class is better than the other. That's my philosophy. But I think you really have to decide what asset class is right for you to invest in. A hundred percent agree. So as you're kind of exploring from one asset class to the other, what have changed with your mindset about wealth building? And especially coming from a first generation immigrant kind of a perspective, because at least for me, right? When I think about, you know, creating wealth, people tell me, you know, go get a good job. Okay, boom, I go get a good job. And I stay there and work hard. And I realize, okay, that's not, I'm not going to be incredibly rich with a Bugatti or something in my 30s. Right. You know, you know what I mean? So I'm like, yeah. okay, there are some different things going on here. So what, what was that thought process for you? You know, that's a, that's a great question, actually, because a lot of times we talk about, and I'll refer to a book called um, 10X is Easier Than 2X by Dan Sullivan, which is a recent book that I finished. And I think um, it, it's a lot about not what you do linearly to you know, increase your wealth, right? So I can work extra hours as a physician to make, my, to make extra money, right? I can take on another job, but what I'm doing is I'm literally trading time for money. What I need to do is I need to find ways to increase the dollar value that that one hour or two hours earns for me uh, than the current rate. And how do you do that? How do you do that? You have to have a shift in what you're doing, not necessarily increasing what you're doing, not necessarily doing more hours of the same stuff, but you may have to quali qualitatively change what you're doing. And that was a big shift in my mindset because working as a physician, I have a 12-hour shift. I can take more shifts that are 12-hour shifts, but that comes at a cost. That comes at a cost of me not being able to spend time with my family, me not being able to take care of my health because I'm there for 12 hours of the day, right? So, so but, but I don't want to do that because at the end of the day, we, when we look at, you know, from a larger perspective, you zoom out, what is this life for? What am, I, what am I here for? Is it just to make money so that I can see a dollar amount in my bank account? Or is it for me to enjoy this life? And so, so you have to understand what is enjoyment to you? How do you, how do you define enjoyment? And I, there's no right answer for me. It's maybe very different for somebody else. It may be very different, right? So, so for me, it may be buying a private jet and I want to do that, but for somebody else, it may just be, well, I just want to sit on the beach and relax, right? There's no right or wrong answer here, but I think having that understanding of what enjoyment is. And I think that's what true wealth is, is having the ability to do things that you really enjoy. Right. So understanding how you would get there was a big shift in my, my, in my mindset. And uh, since we're talking about wealth per se, in terms of money, um, I, I decided that, you know, I needed to do something else rather than just spending, uh, you know, time on my physician job, which I love doing, by the way. And I'm very lucky to be, you know, in a, in a great organization. I enjoy my work. I have really nice people around me. But but at the same time, whatever extra time I have, I don't necessarily want to be doing 
the extra, you know, extra shifts because honestly, I need to be uh, spending those that time on certain higher dollar value tasks to achieve my goals. And that's when the shift happened. Um, the other thing I would say is that when you're trading time for money, you're ex- actually, you're working, right? So you have to understand that you also have to sort of have your money work for you. And that's how passive investment comes into this play. That's how real estate comes into all of this. You know, your 401k, my 401k will not take me to retirement for sure. I know that even if I get whatever, put in the maximum of money in my 401k, we know what happened in 2008. People lost their 401ks, right? I cannot solely rely on a 401k for retirement, right? Um, if you have time, we'll dive into this whole concept of retirement because I, I I have a different perspective on what retirement means to me. And I know a lot of people talk about retirement in a whole different perspective. Um, so, um, so so that's that's how, that's the shift that I had in my mindset uh, in terms of uh, how to grow wealth. Well, first of all, love your perspective and especially the two points that you made about now trading time for money and have your money work for you. Because I think that we, as like, people who have good W-2s, it, it's funny because this is kind of like the main way where we could get into the U.S. and have an established career. And for somehow we just ended up in the situation where, you know, we might be, work, we might be on a work visa or something, but we have generally have very good W-2s and we right. need to find ways where to have money work for you. And right. the thing that you mentioned about employment, about retirement is that, we, you know, put that in the 401k and then just let it grow over time and sit in the stock market for 30, 40 over plus years, and then get that uh, monthly distribution from your previous work. So what is your perspective on the whole retirement? <laughs> you know, to me, I, when people ask me uh, about retirement, my, my standard answer is I will never retire. I would probably die sitting on my office desk. That's what's going to happen. But my definition of retirement is very different. I want to be doing, for me, um, retirement is doing work that you enjoy doing, okay? It's not about doing the scut work. It's not about doing stuff at somebody else's beck and call at some certain schedule that you're supposed to be doing X, Y, and Z, but doing it when you want to do it, right? I don't think sitting at home watching TV when you're retired is the right way to live life. Again, that's my perspective, and I don't want to do that. If somebody wants to do that, Great for them. They can plan for it. I'm not judging anybody. But for me, I don't think that's the right thing for me to do. The way I look at myself is that if I'm not growing, I'm dying. And I always look for opportunities to grow, either mentally, financially. However, I always am looking for for opportunities to grow in life. So, but I want to have time to be able to spend on those opportunities that I see, right? I have to have that flexibility in my schedule to do that. I have to have the flexibility in my money to do that. And that to me is retirement. Once I get to that point where I have that flexibility to whether spend time on something or to spend the money on something that I want to do, not necessarily having to do something or needing to do something, that is retirement to me. And that's, I think, is the key to achieve. And that's, that's what I think I'm, you know, what everybody should aim for. And at least I'm aiming for that. I love it, love it, love it. Because I think when I think about my ideal lifestyle, right, it's doing something that you're passionate about, exactly like you're saying, and be on your own terms, live a life that fulfills your purpose. And I want to shift a little bit to some of the concrete things that you have done 
right. in this arena to kind of set it up for it because we are all working at a W two grade W two that you know it's a it's a good cornerstone, it's a good stability. But what are some of the things that you have done that kind of is gradually setting your way up for that ideal lifestyle? I think the first thing is it starts in the mind, and that's what I always say. You know, every change that you make is going to start in the mind. Um, you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think I'll repeat this again. You have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable because any growth that occurs, occurs in a, in a zone of so, some sort of discomfort, right? You have to experience some failures for you to grow. And when I say you have to experience failures, I'm not saying that you know people should fail. I'm not wishing for that. But I th- I'm, what I'm trying to say is that if you're failing, you need to step back, analyze it, and learn from those failures as you grow along. So for me, real estate was intimidating, right? When I started in this journey over here, um, and which a lot of people do is the, the thought is, well, how hard can it be? You just put in the money, buy a house, and that's it. And you just wait for it to appreciate, right? This whole idea of cash flow was new to me when I started investing in real estate. I had no idea about, uh, you know, you should buy cash flow positive assets or whatever have you, uh, but I had to learn about it. I read tons of books on it. I went through a lot of mentorships. Um, and, you know, that's how I started here. But knowledge can only take you that far. You have to take the action at some point in time, right? You can read all that you want, but if you don't apply that knowledge, uh, you're not going to make headway. So the next step is applying that knowledge, and that's what I did. So then I, I started buying you know, some, uh, my focus is multifamily. So initially it was small multifamily. I bought some small multifamily in Columbus. I have a, a portfolio of 10 doors right now. But very soon, as soon as I bought these, I realized that it wasn't cutting it for me. It wasn't in more, you know, as enjoyable for me um, as buying a larger asset would be. And then the question was, what do I do now? How do I do this now? Where do I go for getting that information so that I can take the next steps? So then, it, you know, your growth occurs because you're asking the, yourself these questions. And you're all constantly building upon the knowledge that you already have. And I'll give you another example of this. Uh, we all know that the interest rates were changing last year and they were drastically going up. I knew that they were going to change, right? There are two ways of looking at this. Either you can get despondent and say, well, the world is bad. Everything's bad. I don't know what the Fed is doing. The rates are going up. But I asked myself this question. Well, the rates are going up and everybody's saying that they're still historically low. What were people doing? How were they buying these assets when the rates were super high, when they were higher than they were there now? So I went and found the information on that. I got myself educated on that information to better prepare myself for what was coming. So First, it starts with, you know, changing in the mind, changing the mindset about being uncomfortable, being okay with being uncomfortable. The next step is getting the right knowledge. And then the third step is application of that knowledge. Once you've done all of this, that's when you can start anticipating, you know, the trends that are coming. Because now you have an in-depth knowledge of that particular field that you're talking about. And then in this case, real estate, now you can anticipate what's coming, right? When you anticipate what's coming, then you can get more knowledge about that, that stuff. Now, say I had not gotten this information, I had not had this knowledge of investing in real estate, how to do it, how to look at cash flow, how to look at the other metrics, how to analyze the assets. 
I would not even be in a position to get that new knowledge of what people were doing when the rates were super high. I would not have been ready to accept that knowledge, right? So even if that knowledge were presented to me, I would not have known what to do with it. Uh, and so really, I think that's, that's been my strategy. That's how I look at anything. And I'll tell you, even like going from a, a portfolio of small multifamily to a large multifamily, they're like different. They operate similarly, but they're sort of different in the way they're, they're bought. They're different in the way they're structured. They're different in the way the deals are structured. I had no knowledge about this till I went and got knowledge about it. I had to be okay being uncomfortable because I was uncomfortable with, with the idea of not knowing this and what's going to happen and how do I get this knowledge. But you have to get over that fear. You just have to do that and take the next step. I love that. And I think that seeking that education, seeking that knowledge, sometimes before even doing that, you have to kind of click something in your mind, be like, oh, there's kind of a new way of doing this. Let me see how it works instead of just follow your assumption and just kind of thinking, oh, like this big buildings right next to me have kind of nothing to do with me. They're all owned by Blackstones or something. Right. right I can never buy so, this. Well, <laughs> I can never buy this. You, you know, my, my question is, well, how do I buy this? I, I don't say I can never buy this. I'm like, how do I buy this? What do I need to do to get this? And that, when you, when you start asking that question, um, it becomes an open-ended question to yourself because you're asking yourself that question rather than a blanket statement that I cannot do it. Then your brain starts looking for the answers for it. Right. If you don't ask those questions, you can never find those answers that you want. And I think something you mentioned that was very interesting is that you said, as soon as I bought these small multifamily properties you know, and I realized, oh, there's, I feel like there might be something better that I could do. Right. Can you explain that just <laughs> more crisply? On yeah. what, what, what are you talking about? So, so here's what happened, right? I bought my first duplex. Uh, I was excited because the numbers made sense. Um, that was going to cash flow. I had everything set up, you know, my property management set up. I had the estimate for the rehab and everything, and I was able to negotiate a good price for it. I will tell you, literally, I was happy for 15 minutes. I was like, what next? What am I buying next? This doesn't cut it for me. I'm, I enjoyed it for 15 minutes, but I want more. I want something that's bigger. I want something that's better. So then I bought another quadplex. And then I bought another quadplex. And I was like, man, I'm done with this small multifamily. I need to go to bigger units. I need to buy bigger buildings. I cannot be just buying these four du you know, duplexes, quadplex, you know, duplexes, quadplexes. But here's what I will say. That is my journey. This is not to say that this is not a good space to operate in. I know plenty of people who are very happy with their duplexes, quadplexes. You know, there are multiple ways that they can operate these assets, right? We talk about, say, short-term rentals. We talk about mid-term rentals, right? These are different ways of doing business. But I still focus on long-term rentals because I choose to do that. I believe in my ideology and my investment thesis that I want to focus on long-term tenants. I want to focus on long-term rentals. So I'm not saying that one way is the right way. I, all I'm saying is that this is my way and I love to do it my way. But why was those duplex and quadplexes not the right way for you after you bought them? Like, was it the numbers or did... It was the, the numbers, man. It was the numbers. It had to do with the numbers. Because imagine I'm making um, whatever amount of X amount of money on my W-2, right? And I'm making a very small fraction of that um, as passive income from my from duplexes, quadplexes. That's not going to cut it for me. That's, that's going to take a lot more headache for me to manage a large portfolio of these um, 
and it's you know to to get to the level where I want my income to be, and so it wasn't worth the energy spending you know, spending yeah. on it. Let's and then the talk second about thing, that. Yeah. yeah, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. The second thing. You know, the second thing was, and this was a shift that occurred after I started exploring, um, you know, larger multifamily, a mid to large multifamily. That that's what I'm focusing on now. With a duplex or a quadplex, sure, you can go and have, you know, bring in investors to invest with you. But at the, at the level that I'm at, at you know, in my, in my pace, uh, whatever I get from a W-2, it wouldn't make sense for me to get other people into a deal, into a, into a duplex or a quadplex. But all of a sudden, you get to these larger assets. And I'll come to why I'm saying this and why I'm talking about bringing in other investors. But if you come to larger assets, there is no other way, right? You have to bring in other investors. You have to pull in investors and invest as a group to buy these larger assets, which are called syndications, as you know. So the reason why I'm talking about bringing in other investors is because there was a shift in my mindset. And the, the, the thing is that if I'm going to go and buy an asset with my own money, right, I will buy um, the cheapest asset my money can buy. Right. So what will I do? I will I will have to compromise at times on the quality of the asset. Right. Because what ends up happening is that the cash flow may not make sense. The appreciation may not make sense. The metrics are different. The way the properties valued, smaller properties are valued is very different from the way larger properties are valued. Right. But all of a sudden, when you change that to a larger multifamily, now you're bringing in money from outside, like you're bringing in a group of investors to invest with you. Now you want to buy quality assets, what Warren Buffett says, buy quality uh, investments at a fair price. So now the metric changes. Now you're not looking for cheap assets per se, or looking for a major discount, but you're looking for good quality assets at a reasonable price where they would still cash flow and still make you the returns that you're expecting them to make. And so that was a big shift that occurred in my mind that I should be buying better quality assets and then remove this whole concept of this money constraint because if I want to do this, I'm sure there are other people who want to invest in real estate. You shared something that I, I really want to just peel off and then get to the core because you shared something very, very fascinating. A lot of people, when we think about, oh, the word syndication, the word commercial property, it's like, just in, in our mind, automatically very distant, like it has nothing to do with me. But for you and for a lot of you who is listening, you actually, if you peel through Avishkar's thought process, it actually makes a ton of sense to go into it. And here's kind of my understanding from what I've just heard from you. You are a high income earner, which we are very in, in a very fortunate you know, place that we're in that we are able to make these decisions of like, okay, if I'm going to buy a smaller duplex or a quadplex. Number one, the amount of returns is only a small fraction of what I'm making in the W-2 job. So is that really even worth the stress, the effort, the time? And number two is that even though we are high income earners, the money that we can buy are still, you know, using our own money are still just those smaller assets. Right. So it's exactly. kind of a chicken and egg thing. And then you're like, okay, how do I create some investment vehicle that is proportionate to the level of effort and time that I 
can put in, given that I'm a high income earner, that I am, my time is valuable, right? right? How can I invest in those higher quality assets that are bigger, that are more scalable, that are more economically just make sense for me to invest in? Right. Absolutely. And then you're like, okay, I, I want to buy this, but how do I want, how do I buy this? I need to pull all the people's money together in order to buy it. And that's how kind of the whole syndication, the whole commercial property link back to us. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, it's, um, I could easily put all my money into uh, uh, S&P 500. I could easily put it into stocks. But A, I don't have the knowledge of investing in the stock market, investing in options, doing options trading, whatever have you. There are different flavors of stock markets, right, of the stock market investment. I don't have the knowledge. I do not want to get into any business that I do not have knowledge of. I have an in-depth knowledge of real estate. And, you know, we talk about um, uh, the fact that uh, there's insider trading in stock markets and, and, you know, everybody's trying to avoid that, blah, blah, blah. But real estate is a very relationship heavy industry, right? Everything is sort of an insider trading because you have to have those right contacts. You have to have that network for you to buy an asset. And I am able to develop that network. But I want to be able to extend that network and the benefits of that network to people who are not in this industry. That's why I like to get other, other immigrant physicians who, are, who, are, who started their journey like me, who are hungry um, to get these returns, to get them to invest in higher returns, like investments that are going to give them asymmetrical returns. So... As kind of you're going through these resources, these learnings, what are your next steps in your vision of like this whole investing uh, world for you? What is your, what are some of the things that you're working on right now? So, um, you know, my ideology is that there is no one specific type of investment that is the best. Okay, that's my ideology. I think you should be diversified in the asset types that you invest in and also within the asset type, like the types of investments. So for example, if I'm investing in multifamily, I want to be invested in different markets, right? I don't want to just focus on one area, one market, one city. I want to invest in different markets, but at the same time, I also want to invest in other asset classes. For example, private equity, um, invest in say debt funds or whatever have you. And so, so that's my ideology. Having said that, having said that, I will say that you cannot do everything at the same time. It has to be sequential because it took me a while to get all of this knowledge about real estate, right? It, it takes time and I'm still learning and I'm going to continue to learn as I grow, right? That learning never ends. But I want to intentionally focus on real estate right now. People are saying, oh, the interest rates are high and there are no, there's no inventory in the market. Uh, people are not selling. I understand that. But that's when the real, the real buyers are going to shine. That's when we shine. And that's when you make money. The money is always made in the downturn. And, you know, it's, it's so cliched, but Warren Buffett says this, right? Uh, when you, you make one money when the blood is on the streets, right? You, you be, be greedy when everybody's fearful and be fearful when everybody's greedy. Right now, everybody's fearful. And I'm freaking greedy because I want to buy right now. This is the time when millions will shift hands, and by millions, I mean the dollars, it's money is going to shift hands in a massive amount unless something changes, right? You have to find, we talk about not timing the market, 
and it's all about time in the market. That is true. That is true. You have to be in the market for a long time, but that's for somebody who doesn't know what they're doing in the market, right? But for somebody who has that knowledge, who has that foresight, who's gained that foresight about that. Now, I'm not saying that I can forecast what's going to happen in the future, but I think given the information that we have right now, a lot of people are very positive about what's happening in real estate. And I think um, that's, that's, the, that's what I see is that in the future, in the near future, this is going to be a, this is a great time to invest so that you can coast later on when the tides go up again and then you, you really make your money then, right? That's, that's, that's really key. But, but, but you know, the same thing applies to the other asset classes, I don't want to pigeonhole myself into real estate because at the end of the day, um, even though it's, you know, you can diversify across different uh, areas where you're investing, I still don't control what the laws are being set by, you know, whoever. I still don't control. There are some things that are still going to be out of my control. So how do I mitigate that risk? It's primarily about risk mitigation. So I learn about the other asset classes. So I learn about private equity because that's the other space that really fascinates me right, is private equity. So right now I'm intentionally focusing on, on real estate because I want to focus on this and I want to have one focus and single focus that's real estate. Once I have enough real estate that I've acquired and I don't know the definition of enough, I don't know that yet when I'm going to stop, but that's the time when I will not change my focus, but expand my focus to, to other asset classes like private equity, like investing in debt funds. And once I have done that, once I've gained enough knowledge, enough, enough network, enough confidence in all of this, I want to be able to offer those to other people around me who want to come on the ride and invest with me in the right asset classes, get those asymmetrical returns that I would get with the knowledge that I gained. Thank you for sharing with us your very humble journey and as well as your insights into kind of what's coming and what you're focusing on. And I cannot believe that it's already time. It's, <laughs> we've been talking about for like half an hour and wow. I thought it was like two <laughs> minutes. So before I wrap this up and let you go, where can people reach out and find out more about you? So they can reach out to me on uh, you know Instagram. I'm at, at uh, The Immigrant Doctor, and uh, it's not the full name. It's uh, The Immigrant DR on Instagram. Everywhere else, it's The Immigrant Doctor. I have a podcast on YouTube, again, by the name The Immigrant Doctor. My website is www.theimmigrantdoctor.com, and uh, they can find me there. Love that, Avishkar. Thank you for coming in again. And I would love to have another episode with you in you know, a few months, see where your growth are. And very excited. Thank you guys so much for listening in and we'll see you in the next If you enjoyed this episode, please share with someone who you know would find value. I would be so grateful if you can subscribe and leave a review. Make sure you join us for the next one. Mm -hmm.